What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and with me, as always, is my man and co-host, Curtis. Uh, it was another big win over an SEC opponent on Saturday, so it was awesome. Didn't start off exactly as we had hoped in the first half, but it turned out pretty well. We were able to kind of get our bearings there and pull away, especially in the second half. We will absolutely be breaking down all the happenings from that Missouri game here momentarily, but first, just a couple quick Reminders for you guys, uh, if you are not following us on Twitter, you can do so, at Glory underscore UGA. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, on the on the games, the season. I, mean, it's just, it's been, I, I, I don't know if we're ready to say it's an all-timer season. You actually have still got a lot of football left to play, but we haven't had a season this good. What, Curtis, it's been since, what, 2007 maybe? Uh, Has it been, been that long? Really... I mean, 2012, I guess you could say. No, really 2012, I guess. But it's been a while. It's been a good couple years since we've uh, been off to this kind of start. And look, there's still a lot of football left. Um, but I guess we're off to as good of a start as you can get off to at this point. Uh, well, even though we've got some injuries and kind of an interesting quarterback situation, we'll talk about a little bit more here in just a few minutes. But we'd love to get your thoughts on everything that's going on with the team right now in this season. So, again, hit us up on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. You can also email us if that's a little easier for you. And that address is GloryUGAPodcast at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Glory UGA Podcast Facebook page. And I will be honest, guys, uh, I'm not great about checking Facebook. I don't really have a personal Facebook account. I don't really do the Facebook thing anymore. Never really got into that after I got out of college, I guess, for whatever reason. Uh, So the best way to get in touch with us is probably Twitter or email. Um, When we started the Facebook, I was was trying my best to get on there and check it out as much as I could, but I'll be honest, I've kind of dropped the ball there the past couple of weeks, so if you were trying to get in touch with us on that Facebook page, uh, I'll, I'll try to check it here today or tomorrow, uh, but I apologize for that, but hit us up on Twitter, email, and I'll get back to you guys immediately, as soon as humanly possible. Uh, and also, uh, be sitting in the mailbag questions. We're gonna, we, we didn't have a mailbag show last week, some things came up with Kurt and I's schedule, so we were not able to record our midweek mailbag show, so... We will be doing that and catching up with all you guys this week. So be sending in all those mailbag questions to Twitter and our email address. Please be awesome. Uh, also, real quickly here, you guys clearly are listening to us somewhere. But uh, we're on a bunch of different podcasting platforms out there. Try to make it as easy as possible for you guys to access the show in as easy a way um, as you can find for yourself. So you can check us out on SoundCloud, iTunes. Obviously, those are the big ones. You can check us out Stitcher, the TuneIn app also. And, of course, Dog Sports Radio, part of the V-Sport-O Internet Radio Network. Uh, all right, Kurt, let's go ahead and get into Saturday night's game against Missouri, the last place team in the SEC East. I guess, technically, there's three teams in the SEC East that have 0-3 conference records. you got Missouri, Vanderbilt, and Tennessee. Uh, but they are in last place. They're not a great football team. Uh, we'll get into uh, the game itself here in just a second, but... Since the quarterback situation has probably been the most popular topic of conversation surrounding this team outside of the fact that we are 7-0, uh, let's just go ahead and start there. Is that cool, Kurt? Yeah. Let's do that. Uh, so after last night, let me just ask you this. After last night, in your mind, is it clear now that Jake Fromm is the quarterback of this football team? Um, you know, in all honesty, I don't think there's ever been a doubt in the last couple weeks that he has been the guy. I mean – yeah, he said he played the whole game, which maybe solidified that much more. But I really don't think there's been any doubt because the fact is, I mean, even when they've given Easton Reds, they hasn't been with the first team. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, like, I honestly thought after the Vanderbilt game last week that when the fact that Easton only saw a mop-up duty, that right there to me was kind of a signal, okay, this is Jake Fromm's team. You know, Easton was cleared. He had a full week of practice. 
So if, if there really was a quarterback competition, a serious quarterback competition going on, I thought he would see some time with the ones in actual meaningful situations, getting some meaningful reps. When that didn't happen, uh, that kind of signaled to me that, that Fromm had kind of taken this job. I thought maybe, though, maybe there was like a, a chance that Eason still wasn't 100% and we were just kind of easing him in slowly. But like you said, after Fromm went the distance last night, even in a blowout, I think it's pretty clear that the coaches have made their decision, right? Yeah. I mean, at least for now. So I, I think that's what we're looking at at this point. But is there a scenario, though? Okay, so if, if you and I both believe that Fromm right now has kind of solidified that job, the coaches don't they don't want to mess with a good thing, which makes a lot of sense. You're 7-0. We're winning. Fromm's getting better. He's growing. He's learning. Getting better with each and every game. I get why you don't want to take him out. But is there a scenario here outside of in, a potential injury to Fromm? Guy, well, that doesn't happen. Knock on wood. But outside of that kind of injury situation, is there a scenario where you see Jacob Eason possibly reclaiming the starting job? Um, I, I, you know, I wish there was. I, I because I, I. Mean, oh, you wish there was? Oh. I honestly, because I want to say the fact is, like, you know, you and I talked about it yesterday, or I mean, Saturday before the game. I mean, the biggest thing is that there's so much uncertainty with Eason. I mean, the thing is, you know, we don't know what he could have done, and and you know that that's a big uncertainty but at the same time Fromm's come in he's done everything the coaches have asked him to do he's you know he's managed the game we haven't really asked him to win us a game truly on his shoulders um you know in a, in a crunch time situation lead us down the field for the, the victory but the main fact is he's controlled the game he's for the most part taking care of the ball and he's he's you know he's led the team um and I have to say um you know I think that he's kind of solidified himself in that position. And at the same time, you know, um, I don't know what Easton could do to come in and change the coach's mind. And, and that's the biggest thing. I think the coach's minds are made. And I don't really think there's anything that, per se, that Easton's done wrong, but more the right. fact of what Fromm has done right. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I think that's exactly the, the right answer there. I, I don't think it's a matter of Easton being able to do anything to win this job. I think Fromm has to lose it. I think Fromm has to do things to scare the hell out of the coaches to where they don't feel comfortable with him moving forward, and they think Easton's a guy that gives us a better chance to win. So I think if, if Fromm keeps growing and improving like he has uh, and doing good things and making good decisions for the most part, he's not going to make perfect decisions. Let's let's try to not hold Fromm to the standard that a lot of us held Easton to last year. Uh, you know, yeah, because I got to say, I mean, the thing, especially, like, I think you hit it perfectly, that the standard that these people are holding some of these kids to is a little bit unrealistic at the same time. You know, people got so down Easton because they expected him to be the savior right away. I mean, Stafford, number one pick, yeah. had worse stats than Easton did as a freshman. And Easton played almost the entire season. And I, so I think that really, you know, and that, that also is a turnoff to the fan base. In sure. my opinion, it makes me kind of, you know, hesitant to be on on the train of some of these kids because the fan base gets on them so much. But then the next year, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, while everyone's in love with Fromm and everything he does, very ne- the next year we could all be cheering for a different JS. Yeah, I think yeah we could. It's, it's, there's there's potential there. Uh, I think Fromm has benefited from. I mean, he's he, I think he's done a really good job. You guys know I'm a huge Jay Fromm fan. He's done a really good job. He's getting better and better as as the season wears on. I'm very happy with what he's done at quarterback. I feel comfortable with him at quarterback. I really I think we can win big with him, which we've already done through the first seven weeks. Got a long way to go, but we've won big so far. Uh, but I, I do think he's benefited from the fact, as you were kind of touching on there, that he wasn't expected to come in and be the savior of this team. Right? Last year, Jacob Eason was. While the team is not a hunt, you know, while we're not a powerhouse yet, in my opinion, while we're still ranked high, I still don't think that we're where we're going to be come next year, the year after, when the talent starts really 
the depth and everything is really there. You know, right now we're good, but I think we're going to be great in the years to come. But last year that wasn't the case. I mean, the offensive line has been so much better this year. The, you know, running backs have played better. Chubb's bit back closer to 100% doing things that he wasn't able to do last year. We just have more weapons all around. Yeah, I mean, around the whole, uh, across the whole offensive There was no DeAndre Swift last year. There was no Miko Harmon last year. I mean, Terry's doing a lot better in the yeah, slot. It's a I different mean, player. Yeah. Wims actually knows the offense and is, is a go-to guy for us now, which wasn't the case for most of the season last year. So it's really, you know, made it easier on him where, you know, I mean, think about it. Jacob Eason's second start, which was uh, on the road, his very first, second, second overall start, first road start, he's asked to throw it 50 times. Yeah, I, I, yeah, absolutely. Should, you're right. And I, when we talked about this early in the, early in the season, when Eason first went down and people we didn't know what Fromm was going to do and should Eason come back and get the starting job back right away. And my, my response was like, I don't know because we don't know who Jacob Eason is. It's an apples and orange comparison where you compare Eason as a freshman to Fromm as a freshman. It's two different years, two different contexts, two different teams, different weapons around them. Uh, and it, the context around these guys is very different. Eason comes. He was expected to be the savior year one. He was expected that because everyone was so up. They were we were done with Grayson Lambert. Had no faith in him whatsoever. Everyone was expecting Eason to come in and be the savior of this program. Whereas Fromm didn't have as much pressure on him because Eason was already here. Right? No one really expected Fromm to be the guy. There might have been a few people here and there, but the vast majority of the fan base fully expected Eason to be the guy, take a big step in his second year. Fromm was. I'm not saying it's an afterthought, but he clearly did not have the pressure coming this season to have to put this team on his back and carry them. And I know this. He, you know, there's some pressure on him. Once Eason gets hurt, he has to be the guy. But still, I, I don't think the expectations were put on him like they were on Eason last year. And he's kind of benefited from that, which is great. That's great. I, I think yeah, we need to be it's, fair. It's allowed him to acclimate to the offense and to the you know the SEC style play and the game speed without being you know really for, uh, with a lot of pressure. Yeah, absolutely. And he's and he, there have been situations where he's made poor reads, like that interception he threw early in the game last night. That was a ba- that was a bad read. Okay, but. He's a young. He's a young guy. He's a true freshman. We can't kill him for that. We can't expect him to be perfect. He's not going to be perfect. He, he, right now, he's making far many, far more better decisions than he is bad decisions like that. Those the good decisions he's making, he's making are far outweighing those poor decisions. And he's done a really good job as a whole. Now, I will say, last year, if Eason would have made the throw like that, people have been jumping all over him because they expected yeah, so much out of him. Thing, yeah, one throw like that, people are down his throat. Yeah, people are yelling to pull him out of the game. I mean, it's just. Yeah, it's, it's it's a different scenario, but I, I'm happy that Fromm is not facing those kinds of expectations. It also helps that we're winning. You know, when the team is not winning like we, like last year and quarterback is making some mistakes, it's magnified. Whereas whereas if you're winning, you're 7-0, and the young quarterback makes a few mistakes, it's a lot more, it's easier to forgive them, right? Yeah. And that's, so it's just a little bit of a different situation there. But all right, so the quarterback position is obviously a key and perhaps the key position on offense. Let's broaden the scope a little bit here and kind of look at the offense as a whole. Let's stick with the quarterback for one second here, but talk about more about Fromm's performance Saturday. Uh, we threw for 326 yards, uh, put up a shade a shade under 700 total yards. We had 696 total, about 700 total yards. So, Kurt, from an offensive perspective here, what do you take away from that performance? For the quarterback or the offense? For a quarterback offense as a whole. Putting up almost 700 yards, 326 yards passing. What do you take um, away from I have that? to say, our offense did well, but I also think it showed just how bad of a state the Missouri's program is in. Yeah, it's there's a couple ways you could look at it. You say, oh, wow, man, Georgia put up 700 yards. I mean, I thought but... we did solid. I mean, we capitalized on things and we did things we needed to, but it, they're also just that bad. Yeah, I mean, this is a really bad defense. We gave you guys the numbers in the preview show. We didn't make... I mean, I, I told you flat out that I, I had some I had some 
concerns that their offense could challenge us in ways that we haven't been challenged vertically down the field, and, and they did. Honestly, that didn't surprise me at all. I thought that would probably happen because we just haven't faced an offense that had the skill set that this offense has. The quarterback can put the ball in the money if he's given time. Receivers that can go make plays vertically down the field, and they did that. But I also had very little doubt that we'd be able to move the football almost at will uh, because this, I mean, this defense, they were they're de- coming into the game, they were dead last in the conference, giving up 8.6 yards per play. They were dead last in opponent quarterback completion percentage. They were dead last in opponent quarterback rating. They were also dead last, giving up six passing plays of 50-plus yards. It's a bad defense, okay? It's just a bad defense. I don't think they've given up less than 139 yards rushing all year. Um, I think that was the number from from uh, the show I mean, on Thursday. in general, I've, I read that since Barry Odom's been there, they've only held one SEC team to under 400 yards. Yeah, it's it's true. Well, since he's been the head coach, he was defense coordinator there before that. And he did a pretty good job as defense coordinator, but the bottom has fallen out on that program defensively. It's it's crazy. Remember when they played us in Athens two years ago? Right, that was when he was defensive coordinator. They had a top ten defense nationally. They were really really good, and then all of a sudden they had, they had Kentrell brothers, guys like that. All of a sudden, like they fall off the face of the earth. Like they took in a nosedive. That's why I had this team pegged as a potential sleeper coming the season because. I know they were bad last year defensively, but I thought they would come back closer towards the middle. Not be a great defense, but closer to like an average defense. And they could do that with that offense. I thought they could maybe do something, but the, the defense is just as bad as it was last year. So I, it's hard to draw any like hard conclusions. I will say, no matter who you're playing, when you put up 700 yards, you're doing something right, right? Yeah. Like you're playing well. You're doing, I mean, because you, you can play bad teams and not put up those kind of numbers. So, I mean, what what I took from that offense performance really more than anything is that this offense does have the ability to be as balanced as we need to be. I mean, we run the ball about 70-ish percent of the time right now, uh, but that's because we really haven't had to throw it a bunch. I mean, Fromm's had a couple games coming into the day. It was a couple straight games under 20, under 20 passing. I think it's three straight games under 20 passing attempts because we haven't had to throw it. So why why risk it? Why have to put the ball in the air if you don't need to with a young quarterback? Uh, so I, I think we just saw another example uh, on Saturday of the fact that we have the ability to run it when we want to run it, and we have the ability to throw it when we need to throw it. So uh, outside of that, though, I mean, can you really take too many hard conclusions from that game offensively? No, not really. I don't think there's much. Uh, I will say, like, the first half, you know, I, obviously we ended up putting 53 points on the board, but it didn't start out great, did it? I mean, kind of a sloppy start. I mean, if you go back to that, the, the drive that Easton threw the interception, not Easton, uh, Fraham threw the interception on. So he throws the pass to Terry. Should have been a first down, right? Well, Terry fumbles. Yeah. He fumbles the last second, makes it third and one, right? Should have been a first down, okay? Uh, it was a second down play. Should have been a first down. But he fumbles. We recover the ball behind the line of scrimmage. So it ends up being a third and one. Then we get a false start, push it back to third and six, which you can't have. Like I know we get away with it because it's Missouri and we and they're not good at all. But when you play a, I don't know, maybe a Florida, you play an Auburn, you play even a Tech, something like that. Like you, when you have third and one situations, or when you're in the, we weren't in the red zone there, but if you're in the red zone, you have those situations. You cannot be doing that kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff that can kill you. You fumble, make it third and one, false start, third and six, and then in a situation where we should ha- should not have had to throw the football, all of a sudden now we have to throw the football. Uh, Fromm makes a bad read on an expanding linebacker. Guy makes a nice pick. He kind of tips the ball to himself, grabs it. And, again, fortunately, we were able to recover because Missouri's not very good. But that kind of that kind of sequence there against a really good defense or against a much better football team, that can hurt you. That could cost you a game potentially, playing that kind of sloppy uh, playing that kind of sloppy football to start the game. So, you know, it, it was sloppy to start, but we did kind of get our bearings. And, obviously, we you know, when you put up 700 total yards, 53 points, it's hard to pick, pick at them too much offensively. 
But let's focus a little bit more on Fromm here for a second, too. So, so he puts up 326 yards passing, 69% completion percentage. After that performance, how do you feel about Jake Fromm's ability to beat teams with his arm down the stretch if he's forced to? Did that give you any more confidence that he can do that? All right, here's the thing. I don't know if it's a fact. It's not the fact of can he do it with his arm. But to me, it's really in his head and his what he does. His understanding just, of, of the system, understanding of well, what well, coverage is. Well, not only that, doing. but the tendencies that he has. I mean, right now, every pass play, he stares down the receiver. Well, not every. every. He, 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 right, he, about 70% of the time, he, he's staring down where he's going. But, that, but see, I, you and I were talking about this. I noticed some of that, too. I, I don't think you're you're off base and, and, there. And the thing is, though, so I don't doubt that he can make the throws, but the staring down of the receivers is different of a good defense with quicker guys making plays, getting there to pat, bat down the balls, and us getting touchdowns and completions. I mean, think about it yesterday. They were an inch away from having a pick six on us when yes. we were in their red zone. Yes, that's, that's very true. That is concerning, but... It's also hard for me to – I mean, I, I don't necessarily disagree. You, you and I were talking about this a little bit last night. I think there's there's a lot to that. But you also don't necessarily know what he's asked you. Like when you're running – we're, we're well, running I mean, some heavy even RPOs. If, even if that's your read, though, you don't stare at the guy the whole time. Well, if you're running an RPO, you have to. You're, you're, you're literally staring at one defender, and that and if that I, defender I, comes, you're in that area. RPOs, though. It's coming down to pass plays where it'll be a lot longer – throws down the field and there's not a play action or anything like that he does have a tendency to stare down the receivers yeah. he can go down and look at it i mean it's there no no i mean i i i noticed it too i mean i think i sent you a text last night saying that on that pick that's exactly what happened there but and it's that's just what I'm saying i mean it, but see the thing is though even if he only even if he does that four out of you know maybe two or three out of ten passes those two out of three passes are the difference in a in a game against a real good right. team against a good defense they'll make you pay for that you're right. And Missouri almost made us pay. I mean, early, obviously, they're not going to be able to stop us throughout the entire game. You put up 700 yards on them. But you're right. That's a good defense that can hold I mean, us in check. Like, just that's, like Missouri. I mean, I know we beat them pretty handily, but that one in their red zone, if that goes for pick six, I mean, they get life again. Yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know I, you're not wrong there. I just and that, I don't want to. And that's going forward. It's not that Kenny makes the throws. It's just we're gonna have, he's going to have to do a little bit better job of – not staring down the receiver so much because against a good team, those tendencies will be. Seen. Yeah, that's something that's easily fixed, though. I mean, I would say easily, no, but that that can be fixed. Easily fixed. I mean, that's something that you, you've developed over time, and you're not going to be able to fix that in a one week of practice or something. Not in one week of practice, but I think as you get more and more reps, and you get more and more reps in practice, and co- you see that in the film room, coaches can work on that. He's not going to be an expert at it this year, but I think you can make improvements on that uh, and get better at it. You know, you're not going to be perfect at it, but I think you can get better at it, and it's. I, he does do it. I'm not. You're not wrong there. I just. It's not all the time. But you're right. Two out of three. Two or two or three times out of ten. You're right. Could be a difference between winning and losing against a good defense. Um, but for me, it's hard to say if I feel any better about his ability to beat teams with his arms down the stretch based on this one performance. It it makes me feel more confident. It certainly makes me feel more confident that you know when you when you play that well, you throw for 326 yards, 69 percent completion percentage. You know. It, well, there was one pick there. Still makes me feel more confident that if he, if asked, he could put the team on his back and carry, carry us if an opposing defense is maybe able to slow down our running game. But again, go back to this Missouri team. How much can you really take away from that? In all those passing categories, they're dead last in the conference, dead last in yards per play, uh, dead last in quarterback completion percentage, dead last in opponent quarterback rating, dead last in opponents getting fifty plus yard plays. So and and. 
you know, this also, I know he had a good game. He really did. I'm going to give him props for that. But this wasn't a situation where he was forced to throw, right? Where he had to put the team on his back. Yeah, he threw for some big numbers, but we were throwing because we wanted to throw the football, not because we had to. We still have not seen Jake Fromm in a situation where, where the team is down and they're stopping our running game defensively, and he's going to have to throw the football to win a game. Maybe that won't happen all year. God willing, that won't happen all year. But chances are, it's coming at some point against one of these better defenses, one of these better teams. Maybe Auburn, maybe Florida, who knows who it's going to be. Chances are, it's coming somewhere. And I just, I don't know what, he definitely hasn't had to do it yet. I don't know if we can sit here and say, because he played well against Missouri and their terrible passing defense, that he's going to be able to put the team on his back and carry us to a victory if he has to. Does that make sense? Yeah. I just don't know. All right, so uh, you talked a little bit about Fromm's uh, staring down of receivers. It's kind of something that's concerning you offensively right now. Is there anything else that you saw offensively? I know we put okay, we put up 700 yards, so it's hard to nitpick here. But is there anything else you saw that down the road might be kind of concerning to you? Yeah, we were a little sloppy, like you said earlier, you know, jumping off sides. I thought Wynn played a little sloppy or, um, yesterday or yeah, Saturday. And that's one thing in some of those offsides and the holding calls and things like that. Just like that big run the Swift had. I mean, if that's a big-time situation, you can't have a dumb uh, illegal motion call like that. I mean, it, it, that was such an avoidable – like in the stands, I was like, I don't understand what, what Harry did wrong. Because he came in motion, uh, doing a little – the jogging in place kind of thing. You see that happen often. I was like, what did he do wrong? Then, you, then I watched the replay today. Uh, just going back and breaking down the game, it, it's, it's, it was just so stupid. He starts the line of scrimmage, and then he ends up basically off the line of scrimmage next to the tight end, and you just can't do stupid things like that. You, and you have a, a big play in the game. Now, it didn't matter in this game, but in another game against a better team, it could matter. You're right. So the sloppiness and just like the, remember that sequence down the, down when we were backed up in our own goal line. Yeah, yeah, and that was the same sequence, right? It was the same sequence. Yeah, like three penalties there, like three consecutive penalties. It's just like you can't do that. Just simply cannot do that against better teams. It doesn't really, you know, show up like it's a big deal in a game like that, but it's magnified when you're playing against better competition. Uh, I'll also, I agree with you there. I'll also say one thing that I don't want to say it's a major concern. It's not a major concern. And our offensive line has definitely gotten much better than where we were a year ago. This is a much better unit. They're playing better. They're getting better movement more consistently. But still, when we face big, elite, or potentially elite, semi-elite defensive line talent, we still have some struggles up front. Terry Beckner Jr. basically ate Gilliard alive for most of that game. When they were mashed up on each other, Beckner got the best of Gilliard most of the game. Do you notice that? Um, yeah. I mean, he, he definitely. And Beckner's a good player now. I mean, he's he's been beset by injuries for a couple years. He's a former five-star recruit, really good talent. He's playing the the best football of his career at this point. And Gilliard was fine. He was. I mean, he he wasn't. He didn't have a bad performance. But Beckner's really good. And uh, Beckner ate him up a couple times. And, you know, in a couple weeks here, we go to Jacksonville to play Florida. We're going to have to face Taven Bryan. Taven Bryan, I don't know if you guys have really been paying attention to this Florida team. That dude is a man on the interior for Florida. That guy is getting after people. He is, like, he's all, I mean, he's not exactly J.J. Watt. He's not as quite, as, quite, a, not quite as athletic, but he reminds me of the motor he plays with. That kind of guy. Uh, you got some guys coming up uh, against you know against Auburn. I mean, Derek Brown hasn't been dominant, but Jeff Holland, the pass rusher. I mean, we come against up against some of these deleted line players. And I guess you could say any offensive lineman is going to struggle more against those kind of guys. But I still don't know if we're good enough up front to really kind of hold our own against like a Bama level defensive front. Which down the road, when we play some of those better teams, could potentially be a little concerning. All right, well, let's flip it over to the defense side of the ball here for a few minutes. Ah, uh, you know, if you were. I don't know if you, were you paying attention to social media during the game at all, Kurt? No. 
All right, I, I didn't pay too much attention to it because I tried to. Let's be honest. Some, oh, there's people out there that say yeah. stuff that yeah. they don't. Really it, it drives me crazy sometimes, and I'm probably one of those crazy people who says stupid stuff. Uh, but I did see a few things pop up uh, where people were just going crazy about how we were overrated. Our defense wasn't as good as as we. Uh, as people keep saying that we are, we were getting exposed, and we're going to get exposed when we play better teams. And let's be real, but they, Missouri did hit two 63-yard touchdown passes, and they put up 28 points. And I told you guys that was coming. I told you these guys would challenge us vertically in a way that we had not been challenged. Uh, I didn't think they, could, they probably weren't going to be because they're not a consistent offense, but they have the ability to hit those balls on the field. And, and I, so I wasn't really all that surprised. I was just kind of in the, in the stands when those when they hit those balls. I was kind of shaking my head, like I, I mean, I'm not surprised by this. It's kind of what they do. So, but would you agree with some of those people? Would you say that our defense in some ways got exposed Saturday night against that Missouri offense? Not at all. I mean, the biggest thing to me was other than two plays, our defense really shut them down. They had two huge plays in the passing game, two 63-yard touchdown passes to Emmanuel Hall, who's a guy it's, – it's crazy. Man. We, we shut Jamon Moore, who's, the, who's their go-to guy. We shut him down. He had one catch for nine yards. He had more penalty yards than he did receiving yards. Yeah, he did. He had a 15-yard personal foul and he had nine yards receiving. Absolutely. So we shut him down. But this Emmanuel Hall dude, he wasn't really playing all that much. Coming into the game, he had nine catches on the year. He, he hadn't played much at all coming up to the Kentucky game. But Demetrius Mason, who was – they really had a three-headed monster receiver coming to the year. Is Jamon Moore, who's their go-to guy. Demetrius Mason was also playing on the other outside receiver. And they had Jonathan Johnson, who's their slot guy. Demetrius Mason gets kicked off the team. That opens the door for, for Emmanuel Hall to come in and play that outside receiver opposite Jamon Moore. And he had shoot a couple big plays against Kentucky last week. Kind of opened my eyes to what he could do. And he was the one that hurt us on Saturday night. Uh, and they did put up 28 points. But you're right. We slow, Outside those plays, we, what, we 312 total yards is what we held them to. And I know... Th- yeah, you look at those 28 points, like, oh, my God. Well, uh, okay, yeah, it's more points than we've given up. Okay, that's the first time we've given up 20 points on the year. But, I honestly, on those big plays, and I know some people are freaking out about that. Like, oh, my God, we got exposed. We're not as good as we think we are. Maybe we're not as good as we think we are. I think I still think it's a good defense. But let me say this. They had, they hit the, they had that, those two 63-yard touchdown passes to Hall. They also had a big touchdown pass on a play action to the tight end for a touchdown in the second half. But on, on those three touchdown passes – no one got physically beat, okay? There, none of our players got physically beat on any of those three big passing touchdown plays. Uh, on the first 63-yard touchdown pass to, to Hall, uh, J.R. Reed got caught looking inside when Dominic Sanders was already helping over the top on the seam route. Reed got caught looking at that seam route, and he left the corner just hang out to dry. He left him hanging out to dry there. And he was wide open, no more than 10 yards. Up in the corner, thought he had safety help over the top. Reed got caught looking inside when he shouldn't have. That was Sanders' offering help on the seam there. On the second 63-yard touchdown pass to Hall, I mean, we were in cover three. We were in cover three on that second pass. But Tyreek McGee was playing the wrong technique. He was playing press man coverage, and which is not what you're doing on cover. If you're that corner, you gotta be play, you got to be bailing at the snap to cover your third of the field. He had no safety help over the top. So when he's playing that press man, we're in a cover three. Dominic Sanders has covered his middle third of the field, and as you saw, he just could not quite get over the top in time. So that was just McGee playing the wrong technique there. And on the third touchdown pass to the tight end off that play action, Jawan Taylor got caught with his eyes in the backfield, which makes sense. Guy hasn't played a ton in his career. Gets caught with his eyes in the backfield, didn't pick up the tight end off the play action. Easy walk-in touchdown. So it wasn't a matter that our guys aren't talented enough to, to, to defend those plays. We just simply made mental mistakes. And to me, I, I know you, you don't want to make mental mistakes, but aren't those much easier to fix than the physical mistakes where you just you can't actually physically do the job? 
Yeah, 100%. I mean, like Kirby said, he told the kids it's easier to guard someone when they're in front of you than behind you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I'm not overly concerned. I never look. I never want to see us make some of those mental mistakes and have blown coverages like that. Because that's what they were. They were all three blown coverages. You can't have that. But it at least it wasn't a situation where our guys were, were doing everything they were supposed to do. They just weren't physically able to stop them. Our guys still have the physical ability to do it. We just if we can just clean up some of those mistakes and and understand, learn from it, grow from it. Don't do that again. You know. That's what that's the mark of a good team. When you make a mistake, you learn from it, and you don't make the same mistake twice. Okay, we're all going to make mistakes. Teams do the same thing. You just can't make them again. So, I'm I'm okay with it. I I, I don't like the fact that we gave up 28 points. Uh, but but I, the, I, here's the one thing though. After those big plays, one thing I did like those our coaches made adjustments. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, after after they scored 28 points, it was only one more the only one more thing that happened later in the game, almost in the in the fourth quarter when they finally scored again. I mean. After that, our defense started playing lights out. They, and like Kirby said, they were also not doing what he told them to do um, when he made the adjustment. Um, you saw it in the very next drive, in the couple drives after that, when uh, our safeties were supposed to be playing with more width. And yeah. um, after that, they started playing wider. And that, you saw it. I mean, they were pushing the wide receivers more to the uh, sidelines where and not giving Locke uh, – you know, lanes to throw, and that's why a lot of his passes were just sailing out of bounds. Yeah, absolutely. Second half, I mean, the second half, we really, for the most part, put the clamps on them, for the most part. They had one touchdown pass to tight end, but we really held them in check in that second half to make some good halftime adjustments there. But, okay, so as a whole, you know, after last night, what is your most up-to-date opinion of our defense? What are the whole strengths here? Are we as good as we think we are defensively? Uh, to me, I still think we're really good. I mean, people got to take into account we have five players out, if I'm correct. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so. and you got to put take that into account. And at the same time, you know, it, it was hard to get pass rush when one of your outside linebackers is playing with a club and can't really get um, leverage like he's supposed to. He can't with, rip. He can't rip the guys and shut them. Exactly, and that that kills us. Um, and so, and then at the same time, I think it was good. I mean, I think they were reading their press clippings a little bit too much. And going into such a big game like Florida, I think this was good for us. Yeah, I mean, let's be real. If we if we beat Florida, we we might as well essentially steal the East. Well, yeah, and that, that's what I'm saying. I think it came at a good time for Kirby to be able to go back in in this off week, this work week, as he calls it, and challenge the guys because you know they didn't have a great game, and it gives them the opportunity to challenge them, saying, and, and that would give them enough to go after it this last week, or you know, going into Florida with the realization that if we do take care of business in Florida, I mean, we. Ca- more or less have the East. Yeah, it gives them, it gives the coaches some teaching points and, and it gives them a chance to grab the attention of the players. And actually, we had uh, one of our listeners on Twitter, I think it was Zach, uh, one of our lo- very loyal listeners, appreciate it, Zach, uh, sent us basically the same question. So, you know, could it possibly have been a good thing uh, for this defense to kind of have some of those issues so the coaches can, can kind of have their attention and have some teaching points? I absolutely, I, I think that's great. I think it's, it's a really good opportunity going into the bye week to have those 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 moments on filming said, all right, guys, look, here's where we messed up. You're not as good as you think you are. Let's grow from it. Let's improve. Let's get better. Now, I never want to give up 28 points. I'd rather not give up 28 points. But going into a bye week, we've got a lot of big games down the stretch here, a lot of big-time football left to play. It does give the coaches a chance to kind of grab the attention of their team and to give them some teaching points, which going to a bye week, which, like like you said, like Kirby said, is, is a work week. And hopefully we can, we can get better through the course of this bye week. But – I still think, like you said, this is the same defense we've been all season. We, you mentioned we were missing some key pieces. Obviously, we knew we were going we to be missing Trent Thompson. 
and uh, Nate Chess Patrick, Reggie Carter, and then we find out before the game, uh, David Marshall's not going to be playing, Daquan Hawkins, who hasn't been playing a ton, but he would also wasn't going to be out there. So got five guys out on the, on the defense, and we still held, held a, I think still, not a, not a consistent offense, but a, a dangerous offense to a little over 300 total yards. I know they gave up 28 points, but still only 300 total yards, held them in check for the most part. And, I, and I, again, I'm not surprised Missouri hit some big plays. It's what they do. I, I, they are the best at it in the league. They put up some points on uh, Auburn. Yeah, they did. And they are the – look, guys, that's what Missouri does, okay? They are the best at it in this league. They got now nine nine passing plays of 50-plus uh, yards – I'm sorry, nine passing touchdowns of 50 yards or more on the season. Nothing that they did offensively surprised me. I tried to tell you guys that's what they were going to do. I thought we would outscore them. That's why I was so very confident we are going to win this football game. But I was not remotely surprised that they were able to hit a couple of shots. That's kind of what they do. Uh, and, and really, if you look at it, it's it's not necessarily that we that, that those guys are weaknesses because I don't think we have necessarily a weakness on our team or in our defense. Our, our defense is very good all the way around. But I guess if we're more where we're the, probably the most vulnerable, I would still say is the back end. Is that fair? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, well, if you if you had to, still trying to get comfortable. yeah, it's, it's all relative because we have a very good defense, so it's all relative. But if you're looking, okay, where are we most vulnerable? Well, our front seven is crazy good right now. Even with the injuries, we're still really good. And our back end, we played really well all season. We've really shut down some passing attacks. Played really well, much better than I thought we would, honestly. But if there was a spot that we have some vulnerabilities more so than anywhere else on the defense, it's in the back end. And we also have not been able to get after teams with a four-man pass rush with any kind of consistency. Part of that is because, like you mentioned, Devin Bellamy's got a club on his hand, got a broken, rib, a broken hand. And, and also Lorenzo, we don't really rush him all, like as consistently as, as I'm sure we would like to because we, we kind of play him that hybrid outside linebacker star role sometimes. Especially with the hurt without Natress and without right. people like that. We're trying to protect yeah. our other sure. guys. And you also don't have Trent Thompson, who's our who's our best interior defensive line pass rusher. So, but still, I mean, that is a concern of mine to a degree is the fact that we are not able to generate more pressure with a four-man rush. And when we get pressure, we're having to, we're gonna, we're having to generate it by bringing pressure from different areas. And that kind of puts you in some vulnerable spots in the back end. Uh, we'll, hopefully that improves as we get a little healthier and able to do a little, do a little more when we get some more guys back. But uh, when, when you – are not able to get after the passer like you want to with a four-man rush. He's able to sit back there in the pocket. He's going to hit some plays, and they did. And again, it wasn't necessarily that they just flat-out beat us on those plays. We beat ourselves. We made mental mistakes that we're going to have to clean up. Uh, I will say this, though. The second week in a row, tell me if you disagree. But in my opinion, for the second week in a row, we've given up way too many third-down conversions on defense. Way too many. Yeah, I mean Vanderbilt was six of fifteen last week, and Vanderbilt's <laughs> offense is a, is not good. They're not good offensively, and then we gave six of fourteen in Missouri. Now Missouri, I think, is a legit offensive football team when they're clicking. So I'm I'm not as upset about that against Missouri as I am Vanderbilt. Like we had no business giving up um, six third down conversions against uh, Vanderbilt like that. We had no and some of them, and a lot of those were third and long. We had no business doing that. They're not good enough to be doing that against us. But you follow up, Missouri does it. I I'm hoping this is not a trend. We got we got to do a better job of getting off the field more consistently on third down, which, which we were doing great up until the last couple of weeks. We're still at like 32% or something on the year, uh, holding opponents on their third down conversion, 32%, something like that. But uh, these last two weeks haven't been great. We need to get back on track there. All right, uh, let's go ahead and move into our shout-outs and shot-fired segments of the show here. Kind of wrap this up. Let's start with the good stuff. Let's start with the shout-outs. Kerr, I'm going to let you go first, man. Who are you throwing a shout-out to first? Um, definitely get a shout-out uh... – um, DeAndre Swift. Dude, the dude looks apart, man. It, is I mean, DeAndre Swift I, I, the I, best running back on our team? He's been the most 
most explosive running back we've had, honestly. Like, is he the is is he the best running back on this team? Um, he can do it all, just like Sony. Uh, so right now he has been. I mean, I think I don't know if Sony's hamstring's one hundred percent. It still looks like he's not one hundred. It does not look like he has the flexibility in that hamstring right now. Like even the the, the touchdown and run he had in the first, I think it was the he, first he half. He came up a little lame. A yeah, little at the end there, he's kind of coming up lame. He's not getting the full extension on that leg. It, he doesn't look one hundred percent healthy. Uh, and then that's the thing. I mean, other than Harrion's penalty, if without that penalty, Holyfield, I mean, uh, Swift goes for over two hundred yards rushing. Two hundred? What do you have? Uh, I think I think I think we were over one hundred fifty because they ended up uh, like ninety yeah, something. One hundred fifty, either yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, still a huge game, right? I think it was two hundred all purpose. Yards. Yeah, and it wasn't like and that was so stupid. Yeah, two hundred all purpose. It wasn't like um, the Harrion. Illegal motion did anything to to help him. It was just stupid. Like you, when you have a holding call or a block in the back call that might have sprung the play, it wasn't like what Harry did sprung the play. That was all on Swift. It was just a stupid technicality on that call there that, that hurt us. So I think you're right, man. He deserves a shout out. He doesn't get a ton of carries right now because we got so many guys to get the ball to. But when he does, he, he makes the most of it. Established himself as the number three guy ahead of the other two. Oh my! No contest. No contest there. No contest there. For sure, for sure. All right, uh, my first shout-out, we talked about it a lot earlier, but I'm going to give him a shout-out here. I think he deserves it. Had the one bad pick, but all in all, Jake Fromm played great, man. 326 yards passing, two touchdowns. Didn't have the bad pick, but uh, almost 70% completion percentage. In control of the offense. You saw, I mean, he's, it's not like he hasn't done this uh, throughout the year to this point, but you saw him even more a couple times on Saturday night where he was directing traffic, receivers lining up the wrong spot. He was getting them in where they need to be, just looking like a, a true field general out there. You can see he's growing more and more comfortable with the position with each passing week, uh, and I, I I think this is probably his best performance to date. Is that fair to say? Um, yeah. All in all, even with the pick, I know, but still, I mean, probably all in all is probably his best performance to date. Uh, against a very bad defense, yes, but still, he had to go out and do it. All right, who are you shouting out to next? I'm going to go Riley Ridley. You know, he hadn't been giving a lot of opportunities lately um, with Wims, you know, being the go-to guy and Terry also establishing himself in the slot right now. And um, he really stepped up and made some nice catches. Yeah, he had two catches. Uh, that that touchdown catch, though, was huge, man. Like, what a play. I mean, from, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a good throw by Fromm. It was but a great uh, throw. Better, even better body control, though, is what got me. Outstanding body control. First off... <laughs> To, to, to kind of do the, the twist in, in midair, grab the ball, catch it, and then to, gra- to drag your foot in bounds to kind of tap it there. Great play by uh, Riley Ridley. I still think Ridley has the potential to be the best receiver on this football team. Um, he hasn't he hasn't proven that yet. He has. I mean, he's people don't realize how how much time he missed in the spring right. with uh, the injury and then at the, the suspension in the first game. So I mean, he's still trying to get reps. Yeah, I think. From a talent perspective, he might be the most talented all-around receiver we have. He's still very much working back into it. I mean, I think uh, last week was his first time actually getting the start all year because we had been going with a three-man uh, receiving lineup of Wims. Uh, Wims and Godwin on the outside and Miko in the slot inside, whereas last week after Miko's had a couple drops, you have Terry Sagan inside in the slot and you've got Wims and Ridley outside. We opened up with that again on Saturday night, although Terry went out, which sucks. I hope he gets back quick, but uh, Miko, Miko had a good game, which actually brings me to my next shout-out here. Miko Hardman, dude. Great game. Uh, two two big touchdowns. I, I'll say this. I know we keep throwing out some absolutes here saying that is, is DeAndre Swift the best running back on the team? Is Riley really made the best receiver on the team all around? But am I crazy? Is, is Miko Hardman the most explosive player we have on our entire team? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, he's I the most explosive player on our team. I think once Big Cole can consistently start catching the ball, he'll be the most complete playmaker on the team. Yeah, once he learns how to play receiver. And again, let's not. I mean, I know we get frustrated with him dropping some passes. I was very frustrated with the drop at Notre Dame. I'm frustrated with any time a receiver drops a pass. But let's give me Cole the benefit of the doubt here, guys. He's still very much learning the position. The coaches did not do him any favors last year trying to make him our. And I know he wanted to play DB, so I shouldn't put it on the coaches. But we wasted a year of Miko Hardman playing, trying to play DB last year. We wasted a year. It would have been much better off for us. If, and I know he wanted to play DB because it's all long term. It's where he would probably uh, have his best chance to make it have a, a long NFL career. But it would have been really nice to redshirt him last year, have him learn that position, maybe even get a few snaps last year receiver and kind of learn it. Because right now he's still learning how to play receiver. He's never done in his life in high school. He was. He was he was explosive offensively, but he was a quarterback. He was taking snaps under center or shotgun snaps and just running around and killing people. Um, so he's still learning that position. It's not natural to him, but he's getting better. Okay, well, you know, we, and we saw what he can do. It was on full display. That the the catch in the second half, that long touchdown catch he had, where he took the out route and just exploded down the middle of the field. That's what Miko Harmon can bring to this team. And if, if he keeps growing and getting better, man, it's gonna be hard to keep him off the field when he can do what he can do with those types of plays. All right, anyone else you're giving a shout out to? All right, I'm gonna give one. I've given this guy one a couple a couple times this year because I think everybody's been all over him since last year. But I'm gonna give it to him again, Jim Chaney, man, Jim Chaney, yeah, Jim Chaney. This is three straight SEC games, three straight SEC games that we scored forty plus points in. Three straight. We have not done that, and again, according to my calculation, I went back and looked at the schedules going back years. Uh, from my calculations, this is the first time that we've done that since 2010. I think we had a, a stretch. In 2010 against Tennessee, Vanderbilt, and Kentucky, where we scored 40-plus points in consecutive SEC well, games. I think I read a statistic that this is the first time that we've beaten four – or uh, we're 4-0 in the We're 4-0 in the SEC, right. Yeah, the first time that we've won the first four SEC games by 25 points or more. Right. And a lot of that's defensively, but you don't win games by 25 points or more unless your offense yeah, is scoring points. Yeah, still got to score. You still got to score points. Still got to score points. So uh, Jim Chaney is okay, – well, again, have a lot of football left to play. But uh, I think he's been given a middle finger to a lot of his career. Yeah, he's, he's putting a lot. He's putting people in a lot better positions too. Yeah. And I think the people, the players themselves, are making the catches. Yeah, I think it's a combination of both things. Too. Yeah, I think you're right. It's a combination. Like I, I'm still on record saying that Jim Cheney put our guys in position a lot of times last year to make plays, and we just didn't execute. Whether it's guys dropping passes, East and not hitting guys, whatever, or not protecting the quarterback, whatever it was. But there were times last year where he didn't put our guys in the best position. I don't. I, I'm not sure we utilized our talent the best way possible at all times last year. So I think he took this offseason to learn, to grow, to change some things, to kind of tweak a few things, but I, I don't think he's just all of a sudden putting guys into position to make plays with, all of a sudden here for the first time. He was doing that last year too. Guys just happen to make plays. It's it's a different story when you got almost someone that can, that, can, that can protect and can and get some movement up front. You can run the football. You know, when, when you can run for 300 plus yards in a game, all of a sudden it makes it a lot easier to call a football game, which wasn't always the case last year. Wasn't always the case. So, again, and also, again, do it for the second straight year doing this with a true freshman quarterback. So, I got to give a shout out to Jim Chaney. He's got a lot of football left to play, got a lot of coaching left to do throughout this season, got a lot of good defenses left to face here, starting with Florida next week. But so far, he's been, uh, like I said, kind of giving a middle finger to some of his critics. So, kudos to Jim Chaney there. All right, let's flip it over to the other side here. And I know that this is hard to do shots fired when you when you win big like we did. We didn't cover. You and I were both on that side. So we, we would win. We'd win big. We probably wouldn't cover. Uh, which kind of turned out to be true there, but when you when you play as well as we did overall, it's it's hard to fire too many shots at people. But let's give it our best shot here, Kurt. Who are you gonna who are you firing shots at first? Um, I'm gonna start with 
for Brian Harry, and you know, the biggest thing, we've said it many times, but that penalty was unacceptable, and at the same time, you know, the coaches are giving him every opportunity to at least stay in the stay in the rotation yeah. at the number four spot, uh, because Holyfield is really making a push to take that spot away. Every time and, he gets in, he's Harry making plays. Not, yeah, Harrion is not doing, he's not taking advantage of the opportunities the coaches are giving him. He's just not. He hasn't been as productive as Holyfield. I mean, it may, and coaches are probably seeing something different in practice. I don't know. I'm sure they have their reasons. But and I know Holyfield's getting mop up duty, so it's a different story. But when he gets his chances, he's being far more productive than than Harrion is right now. And I, it, but, but does it really even matter though? Honestly, because we're talking about the fourth and fifth guys. Does it really matter that much? Um, I mean, yeah, because it it's, could. It, I mean, like we said, I mean that penalty could kill a team. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. You're right there. All right, my. Again, I, I'm having a hard time picking guys to, to – and I don't like picking on our guys anyway. I kind of feel kind of weird doing that. But we, we played really well for the most part. And, I mean, we had a few blown coverages here and there, but nobody's going to be purpose. I don't want to kill our guys too much. So i got a couple different things here. I'm going to start with uh, – I'm going to start with Missouri's team as a whole. Uh, you and I were talking about this before the show, Kurt. Again, I don't want to say everybody on their team. I don't like speaking to absolutes. But they got a bunch of punks on that team, okay? Missouri's got a bunch of punks. I saw – Watching the game live in the stadium last night, but I saw it even more so watching the replay today, going through, trying to break down this game. There were multiple cheap shots all throughout the entire game. When Terry Godwin got hurt, he he took not one, but two cheap shots. That's why Terry got hurt. It wasn't the initial tackle. You had one guy jump on after he was down, then another guy come and jumps on after he's down. Cheap shots, okay? They were dancing, talking trash down, four touchdowns. Every, Drew Locke is a punk, man. Every time, he's a talented guy. He's got great arms now. I'll give the guy credit. But every time he makes any play, he makes one good pass, he's out there dancing like he's the hottest thing that's ever lived. Like, dude, just, just go out there and play football. Don't be a punk. So when I see them taking cheap shots, you see Jamon Moore doing what he does. Thank God the ref at least called that penalty, but they they were not calling any of those cheap shots at all. And I just and it's not like they were outside of the ref's view; they were sitting there watching it happen. But all the cheap shots, all the dancing, talking trash when you're down four touchdowns, I gotta fire some shots there, man. To me, it's no surprise that Missouri's one in five when you have a bunch of guys who act like that. Just no surprise. I mean, it kind of is what it is there. All right. So, so what you got next, man? Um. You know, I, I think that was about it. About I mean, it, I yeah, it's hard. Always, I mean, some people, you know, there is problems here and there, but as a whole, I don't know if there's a lot of shots yeah. fired. Yeah, I mean, you could, you could say, okay, J.R. Reed for, you know, kind of blowing that coverage in the first long touchdown pass, but it's one play, man. J.R. Reed's played really well for us all throughout the year. I, you know, no one's going to be perfect out there. You could say the same thing Tyree McGee, but Tyree McGee has played really well all season. You know, everybody's allowed to have a mistake here and there. I, we want to be perfect, but I'm not going to fire any hardcore shots at anybody. Uh, my last thing I got here, and this is this is again just like nitpicking. And everyone, you're, I, when I say I, I know full well saying this, everyone's gonna hate me. And you're gonna want to turn the show off right now, and you're like, dude, you're an idiot. I get it, but this is just me. It's my personal take on it. I'm gonna fire some shots. All these night games we've had, man, at home. I, I, I'm done. I can't have any more night games. We've got two home games left this year. Cannot do any more night games. All right. I know that's not a popular stance. I know everyone loves the night games. Everyone's been pissed the last couple years that we haven't had that many night games. And look, I fully understand the value of night games to our program. I understand that allows recruits to get there. It's a better atmosphere for the players. It's a better atmosphere for the recruits to see. I'm, I get why people like them. I do too. I, I'm not saying you're saying I don't like night games. I do like night games. It's a great atmosphere. It's fun, the stadium. It, it, it's a great time. And I understand what it does for our program. It, it really does. not I think it helps our home field advantage. Absolutely, all those things. So I'm, I'm all in favor of some night games here and there. Just not all the time, man. Four straight night games to start the season at home, it's a little much. And 
I, I'm cool like Mississippi State. It's a big home game, right, Kurt? Big home game. I'm cool with that being a night game. But you and I talk about this. Like, like does Samford need to be a night game? It doesn't. Yes. It, I, got, I don't think Samford needs to be a night game. They should be a new game. I mean, I, I like these these big-time environments. It's great and all. I get that. But at some point, it's nice to just be able to go watch a game, go back home, chill out your, on your couch, watch all the other games. Because I know, I mean, the way that the TV world works now is all the all the best games, most of the best games are all on primetime at night. Every network, whether it's ESPN, Fox, uh, NBC with Notre Dame, whatever it is, they all are SEC network. They want to get their best games on uh, in that primetime slot. So they're all kind of bunching together. And if you're playing at night, then you're not seeing all the other great games. It's, it's the price of being good, okay? And I'm, I'm, it's a price I'm, I guess I'm willing to pay for us to be good. But it would be nice every now and then, once or twice a year at home, to just be able to have a, a 3.30, a noon game, just be able to watch that, enjoy the game, enjoy a win, a victory, go home, chill out, relax, watch some of the other good games. I know you're all hating me right now, and probably turn, you probably already turned this off, but yeah, just, just my take. I feel that way. Well, you agree with me or agree with the night games? With the viewers, if they feel that you're crazy. But do you not know, get what I'm, where I'm coming from here? Or would you would you be in favor of every home game being a, a night game, every single one? I mean, would I? Yeah, I mean. Really? Yeah. Really? Uh, I mean, think about it. Especially when it's hot, there's nothing better than a night game. Okay, when it's hot, I get it. Okay, I understand that. And I and I know it's the price of being good. And I, and I know no yeah, one's going to listen to me. Imagine being an LSU fan. They have maybe two two day games a year. Well, they only have day games if it's 3.30. I know, and I know. I just again, this is a personal thing, and I understand the value of the team and how it helps the team. I get it. I know no one's gonna listen to me because I don't matter. I totally recognize that I don't matter, and it's all good. But I just, I like to be, I like to watch football, and I, I, I always am gonna watch our game no matter what. And when you're, when you're kind of tailgating, yeah, you can kind of glance at a few games here and there, but you're not really watching the games. It's hard to really watch a full game. So I like to be able to watch our game, come home, watch other games, and uh, just enjoy a, a solid football Saturday that way. And, I'm not saying all the time. I don't. I wouldn't. I'm not going to sit here and advocate having noon games or 3:30 games every single week, but one or two here and there is not going to kill us. I. I mean, I. I don't necessarily love the noon games. I think 3:30 is the perfect spot. That's the perfect time slot. But we're just not going. I mean, our home schedule this year just sucks for the most part. So we're not going. We don't have any marquee home games where you're going to have CBS being over that 3:30 time slot. Unless you know, got a couple of double headers down the stretch here on CBS where South Carolina, Kentucky might pick up one of those time slots. We'll see. But I know everyone thinks I'm an idiot by saying that, but that's just my personal take on it. But I get why it is. It's just the way the world works. All right, guys. But that's all we have for you here on today's show. Uh, I know we've got a bye week coming up this week, but make sure to be checking back with us. We will have you guys covered for, uh, with some bye week shows on our, our mailbag show this week. So make sure you're sending all the questions for that show to glory underscore you, I'm sorry, at Gloria underscore UGA. You can also email us those questions, GloriaUJPodcast at gmail.com. We'll also have kind of a mid-season awards show. Uh, I know it's not quite, it's a little what, one week after mid-season, but we'll call this the midway point for us since it's the bye week. We'll have that show for you guys later this week as well. So definitely make sure you're checking back with us. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Feels good to be good, guys. 7-0, man. Feels good. I gotta say this. Keep it rolling. But uh, check, back, check back with us later this week. As always, go dogs.